Out me to ministry pain. You know, people say say ministry pain. All you talk about is the word. And what must it do? You keep your pen sharp, but now your shirt is the other way around. Get it straight, that's what. Is that good? It's good. Is it recording? Um, if this doesn't work out, I'm not re-recording this. <laughs> I'll send the notes to Bevan, and then you can just uh, cover it. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I really truly appreciate uh, Bevan's friendship. Uh, ministry can get, um, making him sound like a ministry friend, he's not. But it can get lonely, but it's so good to have someone that you can just call, talk to. As much as he's called me, I've called him. Also, when there's got, we've got those questions or you're going through some trying times in the ministry. And so I really appreciate him uh, and the way for their friendship. Uh, we reconnected during a difficult time. And ever since, we've just, our, our relationship has grown from strength to strength. One of my oldest friends uh, from the Bergs. Uh, I heard a word now today that I haven't heard in a long time, Compri. That is a... I think it comes from Ghost Town. I don't think we say that in Eastwood. <laughs> um, but before I, I, I share, I think this is going to only work now because um, Bevan's asked me to preach on the Tower of Babel. So I don't know how encouraged he's going to be after this. So I thought, let me sh share this with them now. Um, Bevan and Zoey, I just felt, uh, you know, just in preparing this, that. You know, the way God is saying, the way you've set up the ministry and just in the way you've even raised up other guys to preach is really good because there's a new season, another season that God is going to bring you and way into. And the word that I got was, don't settle. It's almost like uh, there's going to be a metamorphosis. I think when you preach on, 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 on um, the fall of man, you, you spoke about the serpent having the ability to shed its skin. And there's going to come a time when God's going to cause you to shed your skin, ministry-wise. And so the church might not see you as often as they see you, not necessarily that you'll move to another place, but that your role will change. Because there's a greater uh, ministry, not greater ministry, but another level of ministry that God is wanting you or to bring you to. And I feel the way that it's almost like uh, you're waiting for certain things, even in your children's life, when they get to this age or this stage, then it might not work out like that. It might be in a time when, uh, and the word comes mobile ministry, mobile. God wants you to be mobile. But when the time comes, there'll be grace for you to take the next step. So it's not necessarily anything you need to prepare for, etc. But at the right time, you'll be in the right place to take the step. And I feel the way that God's going to stretch you. And I think that's what you need to prepare for. Because where you are in ministry now, you're going to have a greater ministerial voice in the next season. Um, and so God is saying, begin to prepare for that. Uh, the the, the sing or barren woman, you were never born a child, burst into song, you were never in labor. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, because you're going to spread out to the right and to the left. And that's what God is saying. He's going to stretch you because he's, there's, there's greater, uh, because it's almost like there's a this, this canopy that God wants, like Deborah, she at the certain tree she prophesied, and people came to her, and that's going to be your role. It's like people are going to start coming, and you're going to need to have these words for them, these words of encouragement. So, uh, Lord, we're just praying for Bevan and Zoe. And as they lead this church, we thank you for the faithfulness over them. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, just send wind under their wings. Uh, Lord, even in the next season, in the next phase of their lives, that you're going to cause great courage and great boldness to be upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. You're going to give them keen insight, Lord, on the way forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And just this apostolic uh, mantle that you're going to release in the days to come, that you're going to cause them to, to be able to juggle. And it's almost like God is saying there's going to need to be a restructuring. And so just pray into that, Lord, what is the restructuring? that need to take place for the next season, whenever that comes. Um, Candice, I just fe felt like the Lord was saying that, you know, there's always a cloud and they, they say there's a silver lining. The cloud is the distress and the dismay, but they say with every cloud there's a silver lining. And we all say, yes, the silver lining's here. But I feel that there's times in your life when you see the silver lining and you're worried about when the cloud is coming. It's like you don't enjoy the moment. 
And it's like God is saying, ride the crest. And the word that came to me was Isaiah 60. He says, arise, shine. Your light has come, Candace. Don't look for the cloud. Don't look for the worry and the dismay that might come tomorrow. God says, today the light has come. My glory rises upon you. And God is saying, I'm in this day and season, I'm going to make you so sensitive to my spirit. But if you keep worried about what's, what's the danger, what's the worry, what's the concern, what's the mishap that's coming tomorrow, you won't enjoy today. God says, stay in the moment, stay in the present, because today I'm doing a new thing in your life. Now it springs up. Perceive it. Don't worry about the circumstance. Perceive the new thing that God is doing in your life. We just uh, uh, release that. Dean's not here, Honeymoon, such a powerful time to be in. Okay, so um, Pastor Bev has asked me to share on Genesis 11, and that's the Tower of Babel. Uh, I've never, in my wildest dreams, thought I would share in the Tower of Babel. I've seen it. Maybe the Lord has used Bevan just to, to uh, bring me nearer. Um, I've seen the Tower of Babel, but like I said, I've never thought to share on the Tower of Babel, but here we are. Um, and as we talk about this, I would ask you to just keep your, your catches up. Uh, what is God saying to me? Um, one of the things that I most probably will repeat it, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we look in judgment on David. And we say, oh, David. Because we see the end. We don't see, David didn't see the end. He, he was just in the moment. But we have those moments. And the same thing that happens to all these great men and women of God are things that happen to us. The same seasons of discouragements, the same seasons of where we misjudge certain things, it happens to us. And so uh, let's take the word in and uh, let it prepare us. Uh, and, and, you know, they say testimony means God wants to do it again. Just while, let me just interject here. I just received that, that, that uh, breakthrough of, on Greenville's life. For my for myself, um, just ask your wife just to just to have a coffee with my wife in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, so um, just by way of introduction, in week two of um, the series, I have been listening. Possibly looked at the fall of man and how sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and how it's. Uh, it's, it's kind of dethroned God in our lives. And that's the attempt that it wants to do consistently. In week three, he spoke about the flood. Uh, didn't get to hear that. Um, we see in scripture, so I might repeat some things. Genesis 6 verse 5, The Lord saw how great the weakness of human, the human race had become on earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil, all the time. There's a lot of evil. All the time. And only the flood comes and only a family of eight survive. Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives. Um, in Genesis 11 comes about, there's a fourth, this is about fourth generation from uh, Noah. And you know, when you, when you say certain things and you're sitting uh, in the midst of uh, theologians like Bevan and scholars like uh, Greenville and rabbis like uh, Clinton, then you've got to watch your P's and Q's, okay? So if you see me sweating, um, just know why. So, I mean, the flood has come because every inclination of the heart of man was evil all the time. But just in the fourth generation of the flood, there grows a generation in Genesis 11 that wants to challenge God and bring about open rebellion against God. The same God that brought about the flood. Maybe they were running with the grace that, okay, God said he promised never to flood again so we can have whoopee. Mm -hmm. You see, just like us, there was no moral um, qualification in Noah to find favor with God. The Bible says he found favor with God. He didn't win favor with God. Out of the many, God chose and elected Noah. Why? Just because he's God. And sometimes when we look at our own lives and say, Lord, but why so and so and why? God will do what God wants to do because God is God. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because just like we look at others and say, why not me, Lord? Others are looking at you and saying, why not me, Lord? We just have to look at the flood and after the flood and see how imperfect this man was. He obviously maybe, I don't know, before the flood, he most probably was a bit of a, he liked the, the bottle a little bit. So you, first thing he comes out of, the, out of the ark, he says, I'm planting my vineyard and get, gets a harvest and makes his wine and he ends up drunk and naked in his, in his uh, tent. Obviously these are old men now, I mean, uh, not old men, but I mean big enough men. Because now when your children, like Grenville, uh, will experience, when you have children, you've got to keep, keep the door locked. You can't just be uh, leaving things exposed. So this man should have known better. He wakes up, drunk, drunk and stupor, was laying naked. Ham goes in, makes a, a joke about it. Shouldn't have done that. Naughty Ham. But he curses his son. Actually, he curses his grandson. Talking about Cain and being the servants of, of Shem. Noah didn't earn anything. It was freely given. And there's a generation that rises ready to stage this rebellion against God in Genesis 11. Often, we look at the characters in the Bible and we sit in judgment on them. And we point fingers at their careless uh, actions. But as we see here, that very often there's many fingers pointing back at us and the decisions that we have made and constantly make. Um... Too often, we, we've taken, uh, we, we're taken up by our awesome marriage. Look at our marriage and say, wow, how many years, darling? 16 years of marriage. I really say it's bliss. It's like, wow, it's been good. They say the first year marriage is bad. We went through the first year, it was fine. They said, hey, the second year is bad. We went through the second, it was fine. Then someone said, the seventh year is bad. We said, no, we're no longer waiting for years now. <laughs> We're just going to run our own race. Some of you look at your marriage and say, what a good marriage I have. Look at your children. And they say, look at my children. I was talking to someone. I think he was uh, in a different space of mind. And he was talking to me. Now, I'm, t I'm finishing my teaching degree at the end of the, the year. And he was saying, hey, you know, you're a good guy, you know. Teaching and all of that. But my sons. Oh, my sons, they, you know, they, you're all in sports and they're accountants and they're lawyers. And, but you're a good guy as a teacher. And so we can come to this place and say, oh, my children, they are excellent. And we come to the place and we think that all this is done because of our efforts. And we call it the Clark method, or we call it the Elliot method, or we call it the Green method. Because it's worked out for me. And we start saying, this is the seven steps on how to have an intimate marriage. And people follow your steps and they still get divorced. I want to say, it's only by the grace of God that you have the wife you have, that you have the marriage you have, that you have the business you own, it's by the grace of God, not your acumen, not your intelligence, not your good fortune, it's by God's grace. He said, Israel, when you come into the land that I'm giving you, do not forget that it's the Lord your God that gives you the ability to produce wealth. Tomorrow the land can cave and all your finances is gone. Too often in our generation, we minimize the hand of God in all the success that we enjoy and we exalt our savviness. We exalt our acumen. We exalt our connections. Knowing the right people in the right places. <coughs> we exalt being at the right place at the right time. But Psalms 124 says, and I think Candace put this on a post one of the days, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say they would have swallowed us alive. But praise be to God that He has not allowed us to be torn by their teeth. We are like birds released on the foulest snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Not in my ability. I think David was a very good guy. He knew how to discern. He was up one day and he was king and then he was down one day and this one guy was actually scoffing at David because Absalom took his throne 
and was pelting him with stones. And one of David's men said, let me take him out. And he says, hey, maybe the Lord has changed. Maybe the Lord has changed my fortune. I was king now, not king. But like I didn't take the throne before, I'm not going to take it now. God's got to make the way. This is the kind of reliance and dependence that we need to make. No conniving, no cutting corners, no underhanded stuff, no connections, no tenderizing. They had a sinful nature that caused them, and we also have this, that to go astray. Our sinful nature can only be kept in check by Christ. Christ, and I want to say this because it should be uh, understood, but people feel that if I receive Christ, then my sinful nature is in check. No, Christ and fully obeying the word of God. Uh, we are having a discussion with one of our guys. We have a Bible study on a Wednesday. And we're talking about this, you know, the Bible says your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, and the person said, hey, but some, thing, some of these things are not practical, you know. And I said, sometimes we indulge our flesh too much. We tell ourselves, oh, it's going to take me a week to get over this. Oh, it's going to take me three days to get over this. And then you don't talk to your husband for, for the week. And the cut is off the stove. No cooking. <laughs> or there is cooking, but extra salt and extra curry powder. <laughs> Mother-in-law's tongue. <laughs> Fulfilling the word, and Galatians 5 verse 16 says, living by the Spirit, bearing fruits of the Spirit in our character and in our nature. Galatians 5 verse 24 uh, it says those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh. This is how we keep the sinful nature at bay. We don't tame the flesh. Don't tame the flesh. Don't pet the flesh. Don't starve the flesh. They say, oh, you know, whatever, whatever you, you, you feed wins. Feeding the spirit. Don't, don't even starve the flesh. Kill the flesh. Yeah. Crucify it. Put, it on, put it on the cross. Let's read Genesis 11. Um, from verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain, a plain in Shina and settled there. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a, a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that we can make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse uh, their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them uh, from there over, the, over, the, over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why the place is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The question that I want to pose as we deal with this topic, what are you currently building? Because even though Babel was in Genesis 11, it didn't stop there. Yeah. Is what you're building, does it glorify God? Or does it glorify self? Are the things you're striving for, working hard for, are they a tool to make others regret looking down on you? So you can rub their nose in it. Have you bought into the gospel where we say silly things like, Lord, keep my enemies alive that they can see my success. What would the point be? Who gets the glory after God gives you what, he, what, he want, what you want him to give you? If it's just about you, your frame, your acclaim your people praising you it's not worth God's time everything we do we are designed to be mirrors we are not designed to be sponges 
We are designed to reflect the glory of God. We never designed to absorb the glory of God. Let's look at the design of the of the Tower of Babel. Babel. Location. The Tower of Babel was built in the heart of Babylon, which today we know as Iraq. They have even found ruins of the Tower of Babel, so it was not fiction. It, this actually happened. What did this tower look like? Let's look at the tower. Uh, I think there's a picture that I've seen. Piven, is it ready? So the tower was not like a tower that we would, we would think like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or Pisa. Can you see the tower? Yeah. Nice tower, eh? I know we picture a long cylindrical object, but this was actually a step tower. Thanks so much for that. It was a, it was a step tower that they would build. And it was actually on one of the, one of the tablets, uh, stone tablets, actually found a a, a, a picture of this kind of tower. That's one of them. They obviously look different. But these towers were called ziggurats. To say that? Ziggurats? Cigarettes? Cigarettes? Not cigarettes? <laughs> Who was the instigator of all this? Who was leading the charge in this endeavor? If you go back to Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8, uh, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, that is why it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom was in Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalne, and Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh. Actually, Nineveh, eh? I heard you say, Piven, on the phone. <laughs> so maybe my pronunciation needs work. Nimrod was the great grandson of Noah. Noah's son, Ham. Ham had Cush. Kash had Nimrod. Nimrod was a great grandson of, of Noah and an influential and popular man. Many in that time saw Nimrod as a powerful protector, their powerful protector. If anyone's going to save us, Nimrod was going to save us. Just like Hercules was a, was, a, was, a, was a hero. Nimrod was a hero of the time. A type of savior in verse 9 uh, uses the language that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And this might sound like, wow, this guy, such a good guy. Actually, this was in a negative connotation. One of the scholars actually said it could have been translated that he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. His intent was on leading people astray, away from God's plan, and to a different kind of purpose. And because the tower was being built in, the, in his territory, the territory that he was ruling, it's likely that it was under his authority that this work was going on. What is the purpose of these cigarettes? These ziggurats. These ziggurats. What is the purpose? Even though the Tower of Babel was not completed, because obviously God intervened and he dis, dis, disrupted their language, later... Because these were already made like a, how we have plans, these were already on so, stone tablets. There were many ziggurats built in the area of Mesopotamia, and these were actually temples. Of each, in each city, they will have one ziggurat that was dedicated to a, as a temple to the main god or the primary god of that city. So let's look at the one in Babylon. One in Babylon was made in honor of Marduk. This is called the Babylonian king of gods who presided over justice, compassion, healing, regeneration, magic, fairness. He also was referenced as the storm god or the agricultural deity. So that ziggurat was, up, was, was dedicated to, the city was actually dedicated to these gods. So these gods will protect that city. The one made in Enki um, was the god of Eridu. 
a God of civilization, wisdom, culture, the creator and protector of man and the world in general. The one made in Ishtar was, was the goddess um, the goddess of Nineveh, the goddess of love, sexuality. She became the goddess of fertility, was responsible for all life. So this is what Nimrod brought into the earth. Imagine that. He birthed into, Mesopotam into the Mesopotamian region an anti-God, anti-Yahweh culture. And if you look at Babylon and Assyria and all these places in that region, how lost they were. They were far from God. God would at times speak to some of those, those kings through Daniel, etc. But in general, those kings were far from God. Who was the author of that? Obviously, the vessel was Nimrod. Satan was the author. We see how even in that time, how people's hearts were so hard towards God because of sin. Just four generations before the flood came. Four generations later, ziggurat. It would be much easier serving God, the God of your great-grandfather, Noah. But man always looks for alternative routes to heaven. If you really think about it, salvation, people say, oh, it's hard serving the Lord. I think it's actually not so hard. Yeah. Some people have to drink some things. Some people have to wear some things around their tummies. Some people have to dance on fire and do some strange things. Some people have to do human sacrifices. Yeah. Some people still have to do animal sacrifices. I think it's easier serving Jesus. But there will always be man looking for an alternative route. And today we want to be politically correct and even from the pulpit we want to be seeker friendly. We don't want to offend people. And so we say all religions worship the same God. My simple question is what do those religions say about Jesus? Where does Jesus fit in? Because the scripture puts Jesus in the center. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. Everything is held together by him. He's the clue. And some of these religions, they have Jesus there, featured. But they just say, can you just, can you just shift a little bit? Who sings the song? To the left? <laughs> just to the left Jesus we'll have you there one of the gods or we'll have you as a holy prophet but you can't take center stage if you serve if you're part of any religion or if there's any religion that doesn't have Jesus at the center or any religion that wants to add things to Jesus for us to be saved I'm sorry we're not serving the same God Maybe we're serving as a god of the ziggurats. These were idols. These were man-made things. See, that's why I gave the word earlier because it gets a bit tense. Jesus is the one true God. Coming back to Nimrod, Nimrod sets up an anti-God, anti-Yahweh state so that the areas becomes a stronghold for darkness. And a culture of humanistic belief. It's in my own strength, my own ability, my own will can make things happen for me. So, what does God do? The God that we serve. Surely it will be easier for God to go somewhere far away to call a man that he wants to start this plan of redemption. Because remember the plan of redemption, Genesis 3 verse 15, uh, you will strike uh, the, uh, you will strike his heel and you he will crush your head talking about the son of God yes. so who am I going to do this through let's go to the far place let's leave darkness alone let's go to the far place where there's no ziggurats <coughs> no our God 
steps into the darkness, goes into Mesopotamia. He goes to the southern part, goes into a place called Ur, which is 225 kilometers from Babylon. He overrules the god of the god of Ur, which is the moon god. Nana. I mean, who says a god called Nana? <laughs> Sound like you want milk all the time. Nana, 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 Nana. God, in this darkness, inspires a man called Terah to leave her and then later on calls a man called Abraham, his son, from a place called Haran. And he says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house and go to a place that I will show you. God is unapologetic. He'll step into the darkness, confuse whatever strongholds need to be confused, doesn't ask permission from demonic forces. He goes and he rescues an Abraham and he says, you, I will bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you, all nations will be blessed through you. I will use the, a person that is in deep darkness to bring about salvation to the whole world. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we say, if only I was born in Beverly Hills. If only I had a little bit more money. If only I was standing in a better place. If only I could speak better. If only I was a little bit taller. If only I was a bowler. <laughs> Is anything too hard for the Lord? God doesn't look at circumstances. Don't forget what Pastor Vivian had mentioned. He's the God that said, let there be. So if I don't have money, he can just say, let there be. If I don't have resources, God will create the resources. He will call the resources. I love this. this, this, this. We have fished all night and caught nothing, but because you said, Lord, I'll go. Then he says, cast your nets on the other side. I mean, come on now. These were not big boats. They were not like ships, like, you know, like how we have. They were not so massive. So if I'm fishing here, Jesus, and they fish with nets, they didn't fish with fishing rods. I mean, putting it aside, what's going <laughs> to... I mean, the fish, they're not just staying here. They're going to, you know. But because you said, because you said... All the fish of the whole lake comes to that point that Jesus said because he's the God of creation. Let's talk about the unity. Genesis 1, uh, 11 verse 1. These people were speaking the same language. What unity? Unity is good, isn't it? Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in Unity. And you know, Aaron's beard and the oil and all of that story. And 3b it says, For there the Lord bestows his blessing. So when there's unity, there's a blessing in unity. But therein lies the deception. We think that we can take God's word. It's a little bit of God's word. And then we can mix it with woke culture. With secular, secularism. What's popular. And God will be pleased with us. These people were united. But for what purpose were they united? We can walk in unity, but for what purpose are we walking in unity? What we are walking in unity for, is God getting the glory or am I getting the glory? God will not just bless anything that we are united around. Verse 4 talks about the purpose. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city 
with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. How's that? <coughs> Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We see two dangerous ingredients here. Number one, let us make a name for ourselves. What does that speak of? Doesn't this sound like someone that said, I will ascend the Most High? It was because of pride that the devil fell. Lucifer fell because all this glory that was coming through him, the glory of God, through him, not for him, through him, to God, this, this gifting that, that he had, all of a sudden went to his head. And these people said, let us make a name for ourselves. Pride comes in. And sometimes our ego gets out of control. And if we take the word ego as an acronym, with our ego we edge God out. We can start with God, you know, because we're humble now and we don't have it all together and God starts to work with us and he, and he grooms us and he, and he grows us up and we become beautiful now and people are looking at us now and they're saying, wow, you're so gifted, you're so anointed, you're so blessed, you're so whatever, whatever, whatever. And then slowly pride chips God away until only self is left. Let us make a name for ourselves. What are we called to do? We are to make the name of our Lord famous. There's no room for you to make a name for yourself. We must all assume the role of John the Baptist. I must decrease. Other people were saying, but he's taking your people. I mean, you, John, you work so hard for these people. He says, hold on, I'm the, I'm the, 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 the best man. He's the bridegroom. I must decrease so that he can increase. Number two, they said, we don't want to be scattered. Let's make a name for ourselves so that we don't get scattered. Maybe God will change his mind. This sounds like rebellion to me. When God says something, we want to overrule what God says. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, God said this to Noah. This was a covenant God made. And you know, in covenants, it wasn't like now when you say, I will pay my debts, I will pay, and then I don't pay. And then the sheriff comes, and then I change my dress a hundred times because I don't want to pay. Covenant wasn't like that. Covenant, you would die. If you broke a covenant, you would die. That was, that was how, how binding a covenant was. God makes a covenant with Noah, and he says, Then God blessed Noah, and he said, he said and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number. I think they were doing a good job in that area. I think there was a lot of Bevanin's ways in the, in the Old Testament. And, 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 and you know, I mean, how long are you married? Eight. So eight, five, I mean, this is good. This is, they're doing well. Eight years, five children. And then think about these guys. They lived like, a hundred, like 200, 300 years. I mean, how much? People, <laughs> how old are you now? 39. I mean, he's still got time. If he was living then, truck yo. By the time it came to Jacob, they weren't living so, so many years. And Jacob, he was, he was, he was flowing. I mean, he had, when they left to Egypt, there were 70 people, of, some of servants. But I mean, these guys were procreating. I think there were a lot of parents and ways in that time. <laughs> Be fruitful, multiply, increase, fill the earth. When he says fill the earth, he was not talking about filling the earth with your DNA. You already spoke about that. Be fruitful, increase in number. That's the procreation part. But he said, fill the earth. I didn't make this big planet just for 
you to stay in a small section of it. I want you to yeah. fold that. Why do you want me to fold that? Not your business, just fold that. <laughs> Too often you want to make sense of what God is saying. God doesn't want you, he's not coming to have a committee meeting. He says, I want you to fold the earth. They said, no, we don't want to be scattered. People often think, okay, let me not run a When God says go, these people said, no God. I think we'll stay. Verse 6, the Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. People often think that as long as we all come around a, a objective or a goal that we perceive as good and we are united, then God is obliged to bless that thing. But it matters around what purpose we are united around. We ought always to be united around God's purposes. But to be united around God's purpose, we've got to find out what that purpose is. What is his will? However, we must not be under the delusion that God will endorse anything that we put our minds to. The second part of this verse, 6, says nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. What is God saying? Is God saying that they are going to succeed in their plans in making the Tower of Babel and the city that they will not be scattered in. I think, and I would suggest this, that God was actually reiterating what these people thought of themselves. If I plan to do this, nothing, not even God, will stop me. The Titanic, they say they made such a, 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 a ship, they said, not even God will sink it. And God didn't have to. It was an iceberg. <laughs> What's the thoughts today? As long as I put my mind to this, I can accomplish whatever I want to do. The world is my oyster. Nice words, eh? Nice motivational speak. The world is my oyster. The world is my stage. I can go wherever I want and do whatever I want. I am the master of my own destiny. This is the thinking. Way back, the fourth generation from Noah. Way back then, this is the thinking and it's only grown over time. I said, I wasn't going to do this here in my note preparation. I said, I'm not going to say this, but let me say it. I was at a wedding. I wasn't, the, I was just uh, the videographer, but I was just listening also to the preach. And the pastor said, I don't know whether I must marry this person or that person. And they said, choose one. I don't know whether I should stay here or in New Zealand. And the pastor said, choose one. Pastor Israel, when he spoke here at the expository preaching, he said, you spoke what Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. I don't know when last you knew a prisoner that had a choice. Paul wants to preach the gospel in a certain place in Asia. The Bible says, but the spirit of Jesus prevented us. But Lord, I'm doing a good thing. I'm going to preach the gospel. But the spirit of Jesus prevented us. That night he gets a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come to us. And they go to Macedonia. In 1 Corinthians, he says, the Macedonians, they did what we did not expect. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Out of their severe poverty, 
well up in rich generosity. You think this way is the right way? God says, no, prisoner. It's your warden speaking. I want you to go that way. It's not about choice. It's about God's choice, not my choice. I gave a word just last week. We had a joint church thing. I've never seen this before, but the Lord was saying that sometimes we look at a big door. Big door. You like big doors, eh? Yeah. <laughs> when we pray, Lord, open this big door of opportunity for me, Lord. I want to go to the... And we look at the small door and say, ah, who wants to go to that door? And then I, I, the picture that I had, I don't even know if I shared this properly in the, the audience, because you're going to get very flustered. But as you open the big door, the passage gets narrower and narrower and ends up into a small space. But the small door becomes wider and wider and gets into a big space. When the Bible says, don't despise the days of small beginnings, it's not just because things are starting small, it's because things might look small from the outside, but as you get into it, you find there's a big space that God is preparing for you. But if you're not a prisoner of Christ, you'll always end up in the small things. Because God knows the end from the beginning. Don't be deceived by the external. So I'm a prisoner. My uncle's in New Zealand. The other uncle's in Australia. And they're saying, when are you coming over? But I'm a prisoner. It will be financially... Uh, Rochelle's friend is in... Abu Dhabi. That place, Abu Dhabi, where a teacher gets paid 78,000 rand a, a month. Love you, yeah? You can save half your salary. Uh, the spouse is not even working. Half your salary has been saved. Lovely life. But I'm a prisoner of Christ. I cannot go for opportunity. I cannot go where prosperity calls me. I've got to go where God calls me. Lot made the mistake of choosing with his eyes. Lot liked things a lot. And he ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And before long, that place was destroyed. He didn't even die. The place was destroyed by sulfur. The place that Abraham was, was, probably was a dry place, ended up becoming the land flowing with milk and honey. We had two men had to carry a, a cluster of grapes. Might not look like that now, but where God places you, it's going to prosper. I said I was going to say that, but anyway. Yeah, we are. This is a humanistic point of view. This whole thing of, I'm in control of my own destiny. Really? It's amazing how you can control your own destiny, but you get delayed on flights. <laughs> you can't even get on time to where your destination is going to be, but you're in the, ah, I'm in charge of my own destiny. But you request the Uber, and they, because it's a short distance, they decline. And you're waiting. Ten minutes you're waiting because every Uber is... I'm in charge of my own destiny. But you cannot predict the traffic on in, in Sanson. What control do we really have? I would suggest that we give control to the one the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. That's the one we entrust our destiny to. Don't entrust my destiny with, to me, Lord. I don't know my left from my right hand. Yeah. I need his divine intervention. Yeah. The Western Church, we're talking about this, this being prevalent in the Western Church. The Western Church wants God to meet them on their terms. We have no comprehension of the word kingdom. When we think of kingdom, we think of why church is divided. We must all come together to fulfill God's purposes. We one body. And you know who the church, the kingdom people in the church look at when they're saying that? They look at the pastor. They're saying, you must be kingdom-minded, pastor. Not me. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I, I don't need to be kingdom-minded. You, pastor, you know, God's called you. I wonder what Bible you're reading. We missed the big picture of kingdom. 
A kingdom is nothing without a king. Kingdoms of old, the kings ruled autocratically. They got advice from advisors, but sometimes they even overruled the advice of the advisors. And they said, what are we here for? The king wasn't, wasn't there to please people. He, his word was law. We as believers are part of the theocracy. We are God-ruled, supposed to be. God's word is final. However, we've been so filled with the democratic worldview. Negotiate. Our votes weigh in on the decision God makes. That's why we can decide that the Bible's out of fashion. We need to catch up. We need to modify. Take certain scriptures out. Because we don't like all, the whole counsel of the word. Because we are a democratic people. We're not a theocratic people. We're not a God-ruled people. Or we've been part of a transactional worldview where we need reward. What's the reward? When you're in the interview, what is the remuneration? What's the benefits? And you say yes or no, isn't it? Based on that. So God has to tell me how blessed I'm going to be before I, to before I decide to do His will. Transactional. You give me, I give you. Pastor's talking to some Chinese people from, from China, from the church in China. I know uh, that sounds weird, but you know, there's Chinese people all over. But he was, he was, they were in the West, and they said, Pastor, pray for us that we would be like you. Because they saw the freedom. Because China, you can't, you can't do church the way we do it. He said, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that we would become like you. He said, you took three hours, uh, sorry, three days to get here. Some people won't even come three hours to get here. You sat in a room that's really hot. He says, our people in the West need aircon. You sat on the floor and listened to me speak. People will come and see, judge a chair and say, oh, I'm not going to go back to the church. That all, their chairs are not comfortable enough. Transactional worldview. My comfort. What is God going to do for me? What is the church going to do for me? What, what, what songs is Zoe going to sing this week? She doesn't sing my favorite song. Staying away next week. In protest. She doesn't even know you're protesting. She just thinks you're taking a break. <laughs> or we have a transformational worldview. God has to continually inspire us. Envision us. Show us the big picture so we can be hyped. And God doesn't do this here. Unfortunately, the pastor's got to do this on God's behalf because he's not going to come and have coffee with you. God. So we can't just say as leaders, this is what God is saying in his word. Let's do it, church. No, we've got to pull out the PowerPoints. Are you Clint is really good at PowerPoints? We've got to pull out the PowerPoints. We've got to think what color, what color really speaks to people that's going to really get them engaged. Is it green for growth? Is it blue for life? Is it... What language are we going to use so we don't offend people? Because God must be this, this, this person that's our cheerleader. So that we can feel right to do what he, we, he's asking us to do. Or we are part of a... Le, 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 I get this word wrong all the time. Lazier fear culture. Lazier, there's the word. Lazier fear culture. <laughs> I'm babbling. <laughs> this, the leader's hands off. Yeah. You know, they say when the cat's away, the mice come out to play. The leader's hands off. People do what they want to, how they want to, when they want to. God, I'll serve you. Just don't intrude, God. Yeah. Mm. Don't tell me I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I must do that. I don't do well when people tell me what to do. God, hands off. And I think in this generation, that scripture is so prevalent in my mind, not everyone that says to me on that day, Lord, 
Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven because some of them were never part of a kingdom. They were part of a democratic, transactional, transfer, transformational, laissez-faire culture. Not kingdom. What's kingdom? God, you speak and I will go. God is coming back for a bunch of roots. She didn't know what her life was going to turn out following Naomi to her home country. In fact, Naomi says, I can't promise you a husband. I'm old. Children are, both the husbands died. The sons died. Death of a husband in that day was poverty for the woman. If you didn't have a benefactor. But this is what Ruth could only, this is the words that she could muster. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. What does that mean? I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the fame. I'm not in it for a secure lot in life for the future when I retire. I have relationship with you. God is looking for people who have relationship with him. Someone said, I'll follow you, Jesus. He said, why would you follow me? Foxes have holes. Uh, Birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not even have a place to rest his head. I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight, in other words. You're going to follow me? But Peter, after 5,000 men, they say 20,000 women and children included, when Jesus spoke a harsh teaching and they said, we can't accept this, and they left him and never followed him again, Jesus turned to the 12 and said, aren't you going to? And they, Peter said, where shall we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. This is a Ruth kind of spirit. These men died for the gospel. But because of their tenacity to serve Christ for Christ, for Christ's sake, they were able to endure difficulty. I wonder where the Western church would be. When the trials come, when the testing comes, where would we be? Job, his wife said, curse God and die. Our fridge packs up and our wives are saying, curse God and die. <laughs> the car breaks out, curse God and die. Any small thing. It's not even God, it's because you didn't service your car on time. So no, not everything we plan to do will be possible for us, no matter who you have backing you. You may have allowed, uh, or be allowed, sorry, to lay the foundation of uh, Babel. Make a few bricks, build a few walls. But if God is not in your project, your project, and even, in fact, if God is against your project, your project will not stand. We quote the scripture so many times, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Have you ever thought of the alternative? What if God's against the project you're part of? Jonah, he was allowed to go down to Joppa. God didn't stop him. God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah. Down to Joppa. He was allowed to board the ship. There wasn't iron chains there, you know, or invisible chains, and he's trying to get on, but he couldn't get on. He was allowed to board the ship. But on the Mediterranean Sea, God said, enough is enough. I'm drawing a line. And the Bible says, and God sent a storm after Jonah. Blame Pevin. He didn't ask me to speak about the blessing and the... <laughs> Pevin. It's all Pevin. <laughs> there will come a time when God will draw a line on the Mediterranean Sea and you can't get up like Jesus said peace be still that is a, a satanic uh, uh, inspired storm what about a God inspired storm who are you going to approach who are you going to Job says who's going to be my arbiter against God there's no one greater than God. 
So we best make sure that our projects have been signed off and endorsed by God. Is it Jonah in Gandalf's words, Gandalf the Grey? You shall not pass. And people that don't know what I'm talking about, you remain in the dark. Let's bring this to a close. God intervenes. Genesis 11 verse 7. Come let us go down. Talking about the Trinity. Come let us go down. Confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. God is not aloof. He's not a laissez-faire kind of leader. He's very involved. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in all that they do. If they allowing these steps to be ordered by him. He's not hands off when he sees us messing with his sovereign will. He gets a bit uneasy. There's the permissible things that he will allow, not happy about. Ah, but he'll say, okay, let them knock their heads and maybe they'll come right. But there's the perfect will there's the sovereign will of God that God will not allow you and I as mortals to touch. He said, I want you to fill the earth. You're touching my sovereign will. He will put his foot down. He will come to disrupt our plans so that his purpose can prevail. Proverbs says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Too many times we're busy making our own plans for God to bless. It's time for us to go to God and download his plans for us. Proverbs 16 verse 3, this is how we can do it. Roll your works. In the Amplified, roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. And then He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable with His will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. Are you and I perfect? We're not perfect. I mean, okay, I won't repeat that story but of the recording. But anyway, I don't know. But you know, something our children can get excited and we've got to guide them, isn't it? Yeah. You don't say, how dare you bring that to me and smite them from heaven. You don't do that to your children. You just say no. Isn't it? Yeah. And you move on with life. And then they know and they learn what and they learn what what not to do the next time, hopefully. Doesn't always work, I know. I've got three of them. <laughs> But God is saying, bring your thoughts, bring your plans here, roll them to me. And then I'm going to instruct you and I'm going to guide you. Maybe not all of it is bad, but I'm going to shape that. Maybe you think you're a bit small, or maybe you think you're a bit exclusive, you're leaving some people out, or maybe you're being a bit selfish. I'm going to work on your heart until that plan is ready to be established and succeed. But bring it to him. It's time that we get this right. God had his way. Genesis 11 verse 8. So the Lord scattered them. He, oh, praise the Lord. God had his way. He scattered them over all the earth. They stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, they were, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Ultimately, the people were scattered but not because God's will was done. It means there was a blessing for the people. Yeah. There's no blessing here. Because God had to use extrinsic things to coerce and inspire them to do His will. A storm for Jonah to do His will. God wants intrinsic motivation, intrinsic obedience, because I love him, because I worship him, because I honor him, because of who you are, that's how I want to do this, God. Not because I've got nothing better to do, 
But because of who you are, I want to obey you. That's when the blessing of God comes upon us. I want to encourage you. The whole area of the fruits of the Spirit. These things are developed over time. Lord, help me. Help me to have this heart after you that doesn't tap out the moment I feel pain. Make me, make me like a lockjaw, Lord. You pitbull lovers, I see these videos, it's crazy what locked. No matter how you hit these things, once they got their teeth in someone, it's like they're not letting it go. No matter what the owner says. But that's how we, we must be for God's purposes. Lockjaw. Paul says, I know what it, ha what it is to have much and have nothing. Naked and clothed. Shipwrecked three times. Hard place from every side but not crushed. Lockjaw. Can we bow our heads? I want to pray just very quickly, and I don't shoot necessarily to come to the front, but just to acknowledge it, you can just raise your hand where you are. For areas of willful disobedience, where it's like, Lord, maybe that dream that I'm being pursuing is a babble in my life, a tower babble that I'm trying to build because I want to make a name for myself. I want, pe I want to be the talk of the town, Lord. Maybe I'm doing it for my own gains, for my own popularity, my own image. And you know that God is saying, let that thing go. Just as a way of acknowledgement, if you can just raise your hand and you can put it down after that, if you want prayer in that area. Thank you. Thank you. I love the song. It's called Resurrender. I've surrendered. But they say the only problem with a living sacrifice, which we call to be, is that the living sacrifice can move off the altar. So sometimes we've surrendered and then slowly we've drifted off target, off course. And God wants you to come to a place of resurrender. Can we all say this prayer together just for the sake of those that are praying? To say, Father, Father I, repent I repent of willful disobedience. We have tried to build my own tower of Babel. Build a name for myself. Today I relinquish that. And I, I subscribe to build a name for you. To make your name glorious. To make your name known among the nations. What God has done for me. Change my heart. Where it's been pursuing material things. Today it will pursue spiritual things.